What's up guys, this is Corey Baker from Baker Forge and Tool. In my business, we do tons of heavy grinding every single day, and we needed a grinder that could take abuse and keep on trucking without slowing down billet production. The Ameri Braid Variable Speed 2x72 is just that. All heavy duty parts and framing with well thought out accessories that are easy to use and not bogged down with lots of tiny parts. By far the best accessory item that a Mary Braid sells is their surface grinding attachment. It is absolutely foolproof and the best in the industry. With quick release magnet system, there is no prying your workpiece off the platen. Very fast, slap a billet or a knife onto the table, engage magnets, and start surfacing with precise increments. On top of all of this, their customer support is outstanding. Eric and Kevin are always available and fast to help with any situation. If you're in the market for a top-of-the-line grinder or maybe just an accessory to add to your existing setup, go to amerybraid.com and use the code HUSTLE100 for 100 bucks off any grinder package. All right, next up, the Hustle & Grind Podcast. What's going on, everybody? We're back again. It's me, your host, Ryan Chatborn Knifeworks, as always, with Noah of the Anyat River Forge. And this week, we got Mr. Apex Ultra back on again, Tobias Hangler. Hi, guys. Tobias, how's it going? Good. Thank you for having me again. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime, man. You're one of our favorite guests to have on. Um, awesome. We're seeing Apex Ultra out there in the world. Noah and I both have bars on the way. And you'll be pleased to know, I actually ordered my bar because I it got requested. Oh, really? By a um, chef. So he said, awesome. I heard about this new super steel that's out. And so I want to try it. To do it. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I like it. Perfect. <laughs> well, I, I um, definitely want to talk about Apex Ultra because I have some questions about it. But I have to get, I have to, there's something I've been wanting to ask all week. Um, so... You're in Austria, and from what I understand, um, in Austria, they speak at least certain dialects of, of German as the, the main right. language. Is that correct? Yep. So I scroll on Instagram sometimes, and this this meme popped up of, of, of a certain word that is in German, and it gave a description of it. And I want it, you know, you can't trust everything that you hear on the internet, you know? So you, you think, oh, hey, this is really know. funny, this but go. this could go sideways <laughs> really quick. So I want to try, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this word, but I'm going to throw it out there. Well, and then, you know, at the same time, you know, other words are, you know, region specific, like, you know, even in here in yes. America, you know, you have phrases in Texas that don't mean the same thing in Washington or Maine or anything like that. So the word I came across is, and I, again, I apologize, but it was something along the lines of backfiving gesicht, backfiving gesicht, I believe. Is that, <laughs> is that, is that an actual word? <laughs> no, <Do> it, dude. <laughs> um, this is too much. <laughs> right off the bat. Try again. Try again. You will have to try again. Okay. Backfiven Gesicht. Oh man. I don't have an no, I don't I don't I don't have an idea what it could be. Oh my gosh. This now i now I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> Hang on. Hang on. Can, Can you, you write it down? It? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um I can. So Send me a message. So it's B A C K P F E I, ah, E N F, yeah, E N G E S I C H T. Okay, 
Ja, now, now I know. If, it's, it's, it's a tricky one. It's um, Backpfeifengesicht. And it comes from, from uh, like, northern Germany. We don't use that word in, in Austria, like, okay. at all, I would say. It's, it's hard to translate. Um, it's, like, basically dumb face something, but the dumb part is actually a type of a, a pipe that you smoke. So it's, like, uh, yeah, it's... A stupid and very old word, to be honest. <laughs> I, I don't know anybody who still uses it, so okay, all right, tricky. Where, where did you come across? Um, where so, did you come across that word? It, it was in this meme, and it was basically along the lines of, "This is something that you say to somebody when you hate the look of their face so much that their face is so ugly that it deserves being slapped." <laughs> or or you you hate this person like their their soul is so disgusting that you just can't even stand to be around them and their face deserves to be slapped or something like that yeah yeah <clears throat> yeah i think that the term backpfeifen also is a word for slapping in in like northern germany but i'm not i'm not even 100 sure so um i'm sure somebody's gonna correct me on that um but that's me being austrian and not german so okay. i don't know all the words <laughs> well that's fine and see like i said you know I, I fully expected you know it to be a regional thing and maybe you wouldn't know so anyways i just i had to ask because i I don't know anybody that speaks German, you know, like, I, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and it's super, super important to share that wisdom with the world. Well, of course, <laughs> if, there, if there was a word out there, I mean, uh, you know, some of the, some of the people that listen to us are blue collar guys, you know, if there's a word out there that could just mean your face looks so terrible to me that it deserves a slap. I mean, that's a useful word. I mean, in, in blue <laughs> right, I that's know. a long I, description I, I, for one word too. Exactly. That's, yeah. For some reason, I, I correlated with Popeye. Um, do you do you guys know the shop? Yeah, it's I, I guess like that kind of time correlates with Backpfeifengesicht for me. So I don't know. I don't know why. So it's probably I could see still that. Going. I could see if, if there was like a German version of Popeye. I could see that word being used in that show. <laughs> and people did get slapped. I think in the show. Oh, it's been a while since the last. I used to love that show. Yeah. I used to watch that show when I was a kid. And I, I just love the fact that he's the only guy who's not showing off with his biceps, but like with his forearms. <laughs> <laughs> I have always identified with Popeye in that regard because yeah. as a mechanic, my my, my forearms, forearms get all the workout, but no biceps <laughs> whatsoever. That's true. Just grabbing stuff all day. Yep. Okay. All right. So silly <clears throat> words aside. So yeah, I have a bar of Apex Ultra. That I am very excited to uh, get. It came in 0.20, I believe, thickness. So my thought was, is I want to, you know, it, it compared to the most steel that I get, it's a little pricier than, um, you know, standard 8670 or 1084 that I'm using. So I want to try and make it go a long ways. I want to do some sort of a sand mai. Um, obviously, mm -hmm. you created this steel to be very well forgeable. If you were going to do a sand mai, I mean, obviously, I've seen you do a lot of them, but just for the listeners, I was thinking either like a stainless sand mai or I do have a large supply of wrought iron, maybe doing like yep. a wrought iron sand mai. Is there something that's like, I don't know, better than than other types of uh, sand mai in regard to this deal? Um, well, I would love to use the opportunity to brief both of you guys on, you know, maybe the pitfalls or things to watch out for on Apex Ultra. Yep. And maybe other makers are in the same situation. I, I've... You know, it's uh, always good to have different sources of information, and I think the data sheet is um, 
well, it's numbers and stuff, but me as a maker, there's a few core things that I um, watch out for when I watch uh, when I work with Apex Ultra instead and instead of other steels. And probably the most common thing that happens with people <clears throat> forging the steel, especially forge welding the steel, is they go too hot. Um, so the the maximum forging temperature for Apex Ultra is 1,120 degrees Celsius. Obviously, I don't know my Fahrenheit, so I'm just going to quickly Hang download on. the data sheet from the homepage <laughs> that I created myself and look at the numbers there. I think it's 2,050. Is that possible? Uh, would you say the, the Celsius again, please? Um, 1,120. 1,120. So that is... 2048 degrees fahrenheit so basically 2000 degrees um for our american listeners you don't want to get it hotter than than that right right 2050 is in the data sheet so you want to stay in between 2050 fahrenheit and uh 1475 approximately and the reason behind that is <clears throat> that apex ultra has a lot of car carbon obviously um and also tungsten and it can form um, it can form carbides that are basically on the grain boundaries. So if you have regions that have a lot of carbon and um, it basically has the same melting temperature as cast iron, so that's why grain boundaries can liquid liqu uh, liquefy during forging. Then you have a phenomenon where the steel breaks without any like any strain at all and it looks like wet sand or if you as if you break apart um, cast iron so be yeah. very careful with that don't overheat the steel like 11 um what do we say 2050 fahrenheit is is enough for forge welding if you do clean welds if you you know seal the package from all sides i would definitely recommend that too so first don't go too high in the temperature second you know, clean all the surfaces, grind everything off, all the oxides. I personally don't care about what finishes is it is, um, as long as I don't have any oxides on the surface. And then you know, stack them together, press them, and then take a, a weld bead all um, all along all sides, so you don't have any oxygen inside, and you don't need any flux, you don't need any of that. Um, so that that's basically how you can increase your chances of a good forge weld um, the most because it does have you know it has a little bit of chromium in it and um, you can get successful welds if you do an open weld like if you just tack it together and then forge weld it but it's it's a it's a, a more risky business um, because it depends on your atmosphere and how much oxygen you have in the forge so if you have little steel and you want to make it you know you want to yeah. go the extra mile be sure it's good um weld all the sides shut basically basically make it airtight as you yeah. would do and anyways if you were making um stainless semi i guess right yeah and i, I i'm actually kind of a little bit more scared of doing the the stainless semi because in my experience the stainless semi and this, again this <clears> is just my experience I, I nobody's actually taught me this this is just me finding out uh, generally likes to be extremely hot in order to get it to forge weld to carbon steel. 
Um, so I would say in my sta- standard stainless billets where I'm using, you know, 1095 or, uh, or 8670 as a core steel, I'm pretty sure I'm getting closer to like 2100, 2200 degrees before mm. I go to squish that billet. Um, yeah. yeah, you need to so. take it slow with stainless. So if you, I would definitely recommend go for rod first because you want to get, you know, make it, make it work, make it happen and have a good yeah. experience your first time around and stainless is kind of, you know, asking for trouble. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> yeah, do a exactly. small billet, <laughs> but stainless semi or goma is always asking for trouble. So it, I've definitely done it and it's very possible, but, um, but I'm guessing in like a temperature controlled forge, right? No, not really. Oh. To be honest, if you go a little bit, um, you know, I've, I've watched a lot of billets and sometimes you just, you you don't watch the temperature every second and it overheats a little bit. 1120 or, um, uh, so 1120 Celsius or <clears throat> 2050 Fahrenheit is a safe temperature. If you go a little bit over it, it's still good. So there's still a little bit of wiggle room. But as soon as you go to, um, let's say, 1,180 degrees, so it's not like a big difference, then things go wrong very quickly. And at 1,200 degrees, it's definitely, um, it's definitely broken. Like it just falls apart. So, and unfortunately, uh, out of all the people in the world, you know that firsthand, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I've wrecked a, a big, very expensive billet. So, trust me on that. <laughs> not, we're not just talking about a little uh, bar of steel here. We're talking about uh, massive. Yeah, and when you when you hot roll it first, um, it is even more sensitive to that. So, gotcha. at that point, at the first you know, hot rolling, the carbon is still a little bit more likely to be in the grain boundaries and less um, homogenous throughout the entire billet. So yeah, that's, that's basically what happened with the first big bar. <laughs> so if, if any of our listeners haven't heard the, the first time that Tobias was on here, uh, during the first forging of the first batch of apex ultra half of the billet unfortunately had to be scrapped because this exact thing that he's talking about happened with half of the entire first batch and it was a a tragic story and and it was very cruel of me to make a joke about it just now and so (laughs) no it's good it's good i kind of i kind of apologize about that (laughs) but anyways you if you haven't heard that you should go back and listen to the first time tobias was on because it's a hell of a story um so yeah so i'm go ahead ryan I, I won't be forging mine. I'll be stock removaling mine. So what kind of advice do you have on heat treating through stock removal in a camp? Um, <clears throat> actually, we've put together all our best recommendations for different setups in the um, data sheet. So there is different versions of heat treatment depending on uh, or different recommended versions of the heat treatment depending on your equipment. So definitely check that out to to get all the numbers right. But you can basically heat treat it as is and get very, very good results. If you want to, you know, get the last few percents, you might want to do um, additional um, thermal cycling <clears throat> to refine the carbides a little bit, refine the grain a little bit before you go to the quench. But um, 
the steel just reacts a little bit different to the austenizing if you do it from the delivery condition, which was annealed um, by the rolling mill in a you know very slow or very yeah slow and steady fashion, um, or if you do thermal cycling in your shop, which is a lot more a lot quicker basically. So you're gonna end up with a little bit finer structure to start from um, compared to the delivery um, state. But you're still gonna get very, very good results straight from the bar. So basically up to you. Um, we Levin Thomas has done some comparative testing. So you can also form your own opinion from the from the measured data. Do you do you feel it's that way with most stock removal steels? Yes. Like when you yes. get them it's... thermocycling is kind of a do it if you want to squeeze a little extra but it's not necessary yeah. type deal. Yes, absolutely. Because usually the delivery condition from the big companies is, you know, as soft as possible, kind of. And that always has more time and a little bit longer temp uh, or a little bit longer holding times, which means in terms that the carbides have more time to grow and are a little bit bigger. You know, fine grain and fine carbides is never super soft. That's um, just a basic correlation of the physics behind it. So you can't have a super fine-grained, super soft material. Interesting. Interesting. I noticed the temps were very similar to like 1095. Like the, it's yeah. like within a few degrees, I think. And the funny thing is it, I, I'm, you know, I'm all for controlling every temperature and everything um, and electric kilns and fluidized tempers, you know, doing everything that you can to keep the temperatures in a, as close range as you can. And then when we did the heat treatment testing for Apex Ultra, we actually tested over a very wide range of very high temperatures for my understanding of carbon steels. And even the highest ones were still like they were really still good and they were still very okay. They were very high hardness, but they still had pretty good toughness, which is why I can wholeheartedly say that it's um, not even that bad of an idea to heat treat Apex Ultra out of uh, out of Gasforge or out of Coalforge if you know what you're doing. It's very possible to get very good results because you have all the carbides, so the grain growth is not as much of an issue as with other steels. What were those high-end temps? What temps were you testing? So, let me check. So he treats at like fourteen seventy-five for ten minutes. It's it's almost identical to ten ninety-five. But so in your testing phase, how high did you go? We went to eight hundred and eighty degrees Celsius. Um, if I'm not completely wrong, but now we need to convert sixteen hundred. That's sixteen hundred. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty hot. That's so pretty that's hot for carbon steel. 125 mm -hmm. degrees over what you know like 1095 is so yeah. there's a there's a lot of wiggle room here like like basically don't overthink it guys it's it's kind of <laughs> <clears throat> that sounds like an extremely forgiving steel yeah that's because i also noticed on the data sheet it said you can fast oil or medium oil quench so we don't have to be picky about the oil we use and no, I, I would always recommend you know as as slow Maybe use a fast oil if you do very thick blades and use a slower oil if your blades are already pre-ground. It always depends on what, you, what your geometry is. I think that's something that many people don't really consider. The steel wants to be 
quenched at a certain speed. You know, you have, for example, three seconds to go down from um, your austenizing temperature to, you know, a few hundred degrees or midway. Um, that's the crucial temperature, like 800 degrees Celsius to four or 500 degrees Celsius in, um, in a certain amount of seconds. That's what matters. So if you have a one millimeter sheet or if you have a one millimeter ground blade, your oil doesn't need to be as aggressive as um, as if you were, um, for example, quenching three or four millimeter full thickness stock. Um, so that yeah, that's I, what I'll be doing. I yeah. yeah. Are you you're gonna heat treat full thickness? I grind full thickness, yeah, on everything. Okay. Yeah, you're gonna wear some belts. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> not that kidding. bad, but it's um, yeah, like five millimeters diamond. is a lot. <laughs> yeah, they want a diamond grind too, so that'll be fun. So, <laughs> uh, this'll be, this'll, yeah, maybe consider fun. taking some some beef off before heat treatment. You know, you don't have to go too thin, but taking some beef off can can save you a little bit of time afterwards. I, I'm yeah. not sure what your process is, but um, I could just surface help. grind it down flat to like get yeah. it close to an eighth i know it wastes a lot of material but yeah it is i mean your final is. blade is not going to be five millimeters on that note if everything goes well we are going to have uh sheet metal at thinnest thicknesses um around march or april so that's very new news um i should really put out another newsletter but i haven't so far because i have been yeah doing classes back to back up until now but i will soon write a new newsletter for all the followers of the apex ultra newsletter and we are gonna have um two different thicknesses if everything goes according to plan and nothing goes to waste <laughs> and um that's gonna be 2.6 millimeters um sorry 2.5 millimeters and 3.6 millimeters so, so it's 2.5 330 seconds and eighth inch maybe i tried to look it up while we were talking but i, I oh it's all good i got to. you so yeah so that that's uh 0. 0.09 inches basically point close enough to uh 0.01 and then you say you said 2.5 millimeter and then what was the other one 3.6 3.6 3. 3. 3. 6. 6. yeah in 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 inches fraction, it says three six forty sixths. Oh, I don't know. I don't know fractions. So it's two point five millimeters and three point six. <laughs> so yeah. So then the three point six is basically point one point one five. So that's three sixteenths. Three sixteenths. So it's a little bit thicker than a standard kitchen uh, kitchen knife stock. Um, that's totally. Point... St I'm gonna stock removal point two zero. I mean. Yeah. No. Just uh, wear the... use some belts, guys. Get them. You know. <laughs> Use up some belts. <laughs> it is yeah, the, it other, is. the other one is the one is meant for you know like the thinner kitchen knives, smaller knives, um, any you know like the typical laser. You you don't want to grind too much away. Um, that's the two point five millimeter stock, and then three point six should give you some some wiggle room. Should allow for some tapers um, if you do chef's knives, giotos, all that kind of stuff, and give you a little bit more freedom in in the geometry. And obviously, Absolutely. you can use either of those for making Damascus steel lens oh yeah all kinds the, of fun stuff the two five which is you know like i said 0 0.01 that's a little bit less than an eighth inch stock um because eighth inch is what oh two five i believe an oh point one two five point one two five thank you so it's 
a little bit less than what you would normally get for um, what what I've I used to use eighth inch stock for my kitchen knives, the uh, stock removal ones. And then recently I got some some thinner stuff and I can't remember the exact measurement, but it's close to that thickness. And that's a great thickness for just doing a straight stock removal kitchen knife. You don't need a full quarter, sorry, full eighth inch at the spine um, unless you are trying to do, you know, a very, very heavy taper with a nice thick spine, which I know some people like. But if you're just trying to do a nice lightweight, easy yep. to use kitchen knife, that thinner stock is great for it. So that'll be awesome. Yep, absolutely. Minimum grinding time. <laughs> or or even fillets, fillet knives, I, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think within the next year or so, we're going to start seeing a lot Apex Ultra popping up. Because oh, I really hope so. <clears throat> it, it's it's stepping up the carbon steel game where you're going from, you know, low 60s Rockwell to mid to higher 60s Rockwell, you know, which is not something that's ever been done before. And the, the order I got is actually kind of cool. It's black on black. So they want that blade etched black and they awesome. want all black handle. So it's nah. black on black. <laughs> murdered out kitchen knife i like it yeah <laughs> so what kind Shadow. of what kind of flexibility do you see out of this steel with that high of the hardness obviously you said it still retains this immense toughness as well if you were to make like a fillet knife out of it or something like that does it have the the flexibility that you would want to see from that it does actually um uh a fellow knife maker from Germany just posted a, a very crazy test video where he was slamming an Akiri into a wood block and doing all kinds of very, you know, stuff that you usually can't even watch because it's <laughs> so bad for the knife. And it it held up everything. It's actually I think it's still on the on the story. Um I'll be sure to to put it on the highlights for Apex Ultra. Because oh, okay, it's, cool. it's actually it's a really cool video. So that gives confidence, I think, in a very real way to what the toughness still is at high hardnesses. Yeah. And for everybody listening, it is available in the U.S. now. You can get it from Baker Forging Tool or Maker Materials Supply. It's very reasonable. It's less expensive than MagnaCut. Um, and and I, unlike me, you should not forget to use code HUSTLE10 when you go to Baker Forge to, uh, <laughs> Shame to, on to you. buy some. <laughs> yeah. Also, they have the, let me pull it up here. It is the Firestorm Ripple with Damascus Core is their drop this week. Yeah, it's nuts. And it is beautiful. Yeah, Firestorm Ripple with the Damascus Core. So And don't forget, that. those are also wide bars. So since they moved into their new shop, they're making all those wide, wider uh, stocks. So you guys that are making cleavers or whatever, or just trying to, you know, uh, minimize the amount of waste when you're cutting cutting out your um, your profiles. Get those wider stock bars that they're actually uh, putting out now, up to and, three and a half inch. Yeah, they have a beautiful setup now. Amazing hammers. I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that rolling mill. Yeah, yeah their rolling mill is the size of a train. That thing is yeah. massive. For for a space that's only twelve inches wide, <laughs> yeah, the working <laughs> you know? area is always surprisingly small. But yeah. all the motor and the gears. <laughs> yeah, super oh, happy for sure. those guys. So yeah, in case we didn't make that clear, they are a sponsor of the show. Uh, code Hustle Ten when you guys go to check out and get some of that Firestorm Ripple or whatever else crazy stuff that they're always putting out. So the Apex Ultra was very reasonable with our promo code. 
a 39 inch long by two inch wide by 0.20 thickness bar was $135 shipped. Not bad. That's not, not bad. That's gotta be four not, knives. Yeah. Yeah. That's four big kitchen knives. Yeah. And yeah. I wasn't smart like Ryan and I bought a 12 inch bar from somewhere else because as soon as I saw it available, I was like, Oh, I got to get it before it sells out. <laughs> so I, I, uh, I didn't wait to see when Baker was going to get it. So anyways, they do have it. And it's not sold out yet, so go get you some. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but better be quick. I'm pretty sure it's not going to last forever. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, the next regular batch of steel is also coming um, soon to us. So it's going to be available again for for all the retailers importing it. But as we've seen from the last batch, it takes a couple of months to actually you know, hit the retail shelves yeah everything yeah oh sure and you know talking to you about the whole process and everything it makes a little more sense to us and to the listeners of you know just just how much goes into it you know we're we're sitting here where is it we're, why you know we're supposed to get it it's like well <laughs> when you when you think about like the whole process and everything it makes a little bit more sense about why it takes a while yeah. um so so the bars that ryan and i just got are those from the second batch that no that's batch or the third? three that's okay. batch three. So um, beginning of the new year, there's going to be batch four. And batch 4.1, basically, or 4.2, is going to be, or so it's going to be part of the same melt that is going to be um, rolled down to the thinner stocks at a completely different process. So the one, uh, the one route is the traditional route um, where we make basically the bars of steel. It's one rolling mill, and then we have a different route um, that's now basically done for the first time. So we hope everything goes well, and that is going to provide us with the basically whatever, however wide you want them. Um, but it's going to be big sheets of steel at these thinner, uh, thinner thicknesses of two point five and three point six. So, so batch four is going to be made exactly like the other the other batches were, and then there's going to be a right. secondary process after the fact where you're going to be taking that material and thinning it out even more to create those. No, not not quite. So basically, it's the same melt in the beginning, and then it's the same, almost the same remelting process. But then the bars or the the blocks get separated, and then we ship two blocks um, to the old route, and we go through the the old process and one of the blocks goes to the new version or to the new facilities um and yeah and okay. they hopefully do what we want them to do <laughs> <laughs> fingers crossed all right yeah. fingers crossed but it's it's a yeah it's a good company so i'm very optimistic they do some of the best tool steels in the world and make sheet metal from it they even hot roll um high speed steels so they they hot roll high speed steels down to zero point seven millimeters, so very very thin. <laughs> wow! I don't know I don't know how they like exactly do it, but it's insane. So that was yeah, something perfect. I wanted to bring up. We'll change gears here just slightly. Are you familiar yeah. with JB Blades? Um, it does ring a bell. All the all the knives you see that Baker Forge uses as examples that have oh, the carvings yes. in them, those are his. We had him on recently, and I we were talking to him about decarb, and he said that he gets zero decarb because he gun blues the blades before he heat treats them. And I tried it the other day. Okay, and it worked. 
Interesting. And I wanted to know your scientific thoughts on that. <laughs> Gun blowing. Um, that's interesting. Zero decarb. Like, does it almost make like a? I mean, like it's an a, impermeable like an oxides. Yeah, I don't. I'm not familiar with the process that much because it's not food safe. So I'm not really. I've never really played with it much. Um, because you can't really use it for kitchen knives, so it shouldn't. Or I didn't really find a definite answer for it, so I kind of stayed away for it from from using gun bluing. Right, me too. <clears throat> I, I think the wouldn't it if doing it before heat treat, so it's going through. Yeah, yeah. It, you're gonna would, grind it off after, I guess. Right. Are you? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What, what What I can imagine is that instead of um, basically an porous non-stable oxide layer like the scale that that would form on the on the surface you have a basically like a dense stable layer on top of the steel so if that's not reactive you know that can only be also linked to the kinetics so the the oxygen doesn't penetrate through this layer whatever the layer is because the, the layer is already there and it's more stable than the oxides that would form um, during you know high temperatures otherwise so the scale <clears throat> i can imagine that that works but it's a lot of it's a lot of work isn't it it's an extra step you gotta wash them really good yeah and you you rub it on with the you know, cotton swab or a paper. I used a paper yep. towel and I just dunked it in it. And Interesting. I only did one layer too. I don't know if he's yep. doing, because when you, when you blew a gun, a lot of times you have to do multiple passes. Until it's yeah th and thick enough and uniform enough. Right. Right. I, I, mine was streaky as shit and I just, let's see if this works. And <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I can, I can imagine that there is, there is a functionality to it, but would be interesting to study that in detail. Hmm. Yeah, I was playing around with a gun blue finish on like an EDC blade the other day, and I just wasn't able to get a finish that I liked on it. So yeah. I ended up just hand sanding it off and did my standard ferric dip and stone washed it. Um, but I am kind of curious. And then even then, if you know, if I'm selling an EDC blade that's going to be used for uh, breaking down game or something like that. Well, I still don't want something that's not a food safe finish on it. And right. It we just, had this I, debate with a buddy of ours in a group chat the other day. It yeah. was, was it gun blue we were talking about or was it tongue oil? Yeah, it was, it was gun blue. And he has a really good process for getting it on there. Uh, even where he's got like a wire brush that he scrubs it in there. And he was, he actually got some really great results with it. Yep. Uh, shout out to uh, 419 forging. Um, he's got a great video that he posted um, about how he does his gun blowing process. If that's a finish that you're interested in, obviously it doesn't really matter if you're just using it, you know, as a, a barrier before the quench, um, whether it's streaky or not, but, but yeah, it's I interesting. Just, I'm not yeah. really curious what it does to the steel. Yeah. Or, I don't know if I said that right. I'm not really sure what it does to the steel. You know, what, what's the chemical reaction that's happening there? It stinks either way, whatever it is, whatever it's doing. I'm not a fan <laughs> of the way that it smells. Um, okay, I, I did like to try parkerizing a little bit. Have you ever oh, yeah? tried that? Yeah. Um, and for us, it's tricky because you can't get the solutions pre-mixed. So I actually had to make the chemicals from scratch to buy all the raw chemicals and then mix them myself. And 
I did get on a watch list. Uh, just added another box on the watch list. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure I'm already on there. <laughs> um, Probably. <laughs> but I did get one of the. Actually, it was the first knife of Apex Ultra that it was ever done, and I got a really nice Parker Rising on that. And after that, I failed one blade after the other, and I couldn't make out why. You know, I re, I did the chemicals again. You know, weighed in everything to the gram. Same temperatures, same concentrations, same time, same finish, and it just didn't turn out the same way. So, surfaces, surfacing stuff in a nice and uniform way is, is can be very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I'll bet. Yeah, I bought all the stuff to do uh, Sarah coating because oh, I was really, really in- I was really interested in that uh, early on because you know one of the complaints that when you you know when you first start out you're selling carbon steel blades nobody knows what a carbon steel blade is yeah. and so then they buy it from you and then they're like well it's you know it's it's changing colors and this and that and I was like well maybe seracoding would be a good way cuz I've had you know different gun parts and stuff that have been seracoded and you know they sell all kinds of stuff like that so I bought everything to seracote knives and then I never did it once so um, <laughs> if anybody out there is wanting to like tell me that I should do it or wants to buy all my seracoding stuff, you know, let me know. But that then again, I don't know. Is seracote something that you want to have on <clears throat> something that's touching either meat or, you know, stuff you're going to be putting in your mouth? I don't know. I don't think it's like certified for food use. On the other side, I mean, technically, I don't think any of our carbon steels are. Um, certified food safe or anything that has a forge scale on it is certified as food safe because you know it has tiny little crevices where the germs can go in and um, basically that i think in europe the norm says it has to be polished stainless or go fuck yourself and there's no there's no alternative to that in steel um so you so know we're already losing uh, so what does it matter then <laughs> yeah so at a point you, you just don't know if you're you know, putting something really bad on your blade or if it's just, you know, the same, not as great. But I mean, the Japanese have been making knives and we have been making knives out of carbon steel for a very long time. And it's it's okay. You know, we didn't die. And yet. Yeah. So I don't know, at, you know, to what level it really is bad or if it's just a not certified, not good enough kind of thing. I don't know. Um hmm. Well, here in the U.S., if it's not FDA certified, then that just means that somebody didn't pay them enough. So it really yeah, doesn't matter whether it's... <laughs> yeah. Good old they don't have enough stock. <laughs> yeah, they don't have enough stock in that company. Yeah. Uh, like like yeah, Ryan said, we're already all we're already sense. all on the list anyway, so we can just say whatever we want at this point. <laughs> so let's add some conspira- conspiracy uh, theories. Why mm. not? Ryan... Let's hear from uh, Luke about our uh, our friends up in Canada. Eh? Sure. Hustle and Grind is sponsored by Maritime Knife Supply. Whether you're looking for steel, abrasives, handle material, forges, epoxy, or anything for making in general, Maritime Knife Supply has you covered. And in the U.S. or Canada, they ship faster than the great Cobra Chicken Gooses that their country is known for. Go to Maritime Knife Supply, and when you buy a 10-pack of belts, get 10% off. And tell them we sent you, eh? Eh? So that I was on a Canadian me. podcast yesterday. Which one? Fordside Chat. 
I don't know when the episode oh. drops, but nice a little spoiler. Guys, look out! Ryan's going to be on there. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm I, curious to listen to that one. I uh, Lando had nobody, so I brought a fellow Yankee on with me, Mister Flying Shark oh. Knives. Did you really? Okay, I now did. I'm really interested to listen to it. It's probably going to be the best episode they've ever done. Because <laughs> there's <laughs> two Americans on there, of course. <laughs> That's right. I said, to, he goes, he goes, I can't find a third. I said, I'll find somebody. Do you care if it's a Yankee? He goes, I don't give a shit. I was like, okay. <laughs> well, for a while there, that was their whole thing. They'd only have Canadians on. Which is kind of, uh, I guess rude. that's not racist. It's national. It's rude. <laughs> it's rude. Yeah, that. That's just rude, man. And Canadians <laughs> are supposed to be nice, right? Yeah. Like, that's their whole shtick. It's passive aggressively rude, but they, uh, Speak- okay. So speaking of American Canadians, the maritime ad just reminded me, um, we were talking, I think it was before the show. We were talking about, um, scale X and right. the, the wanting to get, you know, sort certain kinds of no scale and stuff. Um, Dennis Terrell had a video. He wasn't able to find any sort of aerosol, but there is a company here in the U.S. that sells a paint-on version, and it's not like the ATP stuff that you can get from Lawrence. I've tried that, and it works, um, but it's a little bit... It, it is more of like a paint, um, and he put out a video in one of his Triple T Thursday uh, videos about this stuff. You have to buy it directly from the supplier. You have to actually call them. It's but he Condorsol got, Z1100, yeah. and it's like... I think it's like 60 bucks a quart or something like that. It's something along those lines, but a quart is going to last you for freaking ever because you're just painting it on, you know, a blade or two at a time. So um, it, he got great results with it and his, his testing is much more scientific than mine um, would be. So go check out that video. And he did um, plenty of Rockwell testing and, you know, had a control with like stainless foil. And anyway, it's a great video. Well, everything Dennis puts out, is great, but um, definitely worth the, the look. And then maybe one day, maybe one day we will get some we'll bring ALX here Scale-X in, here in to the U.S. The, to the U.S., yes. From what yeah, I understand, ALX is basically the, that product just in an aerosol form, right? It's just a spray paint. <clears throat> uh, the... Yeah, I think the chemistry behind it is pretty, pretty much the same. Um, I'm, I don't think I'm allowed to say too much <laughs> about no, that. Okay. No, um, it, it's not in favor of um, Condorcet. Let's put it that way. And I don't, I don't want to put anything out that um, the company Rembrandtine, which is behind the, um, the Scalex, is yeah. Has not confirmed off. We understand. Out. You're good. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, maybe you can answer this question. I don't break any here. <laughs> <clears throat> so I watched this video from Dennis, and then I, I did what I shouldn't have done, and I went and I looked in the comments. And uh, if you've ever been in the comments section on YouTube, you kind of know why. Uh, <laughs> but there was a number of comments down there that were saying that people, and I don't know what reputation these people have behind them but there was a lot of people who said that they've used high temperature regular spray paint so there's a number of different spray paints that you can get for either like uh like uh, headers on cars that are that are um rated up to 2000 2200 degrees that's literally just a spray paint what are your thoughts on that i 
I haven't even heard about that so far. Uh, what I did hear here um, were copper paint things, but I haven't tested them myself, so I didn't really find a reason for it because Scalex uh, works nicely. But and and we did the study um, while I was not aware that was an alternative. So now it's hard to convince the company to do the study again with you know all the stuff sure. that's in the market uh, or floating around that's not even in the market, but just rumor has it it works. And one thing that I can say is that it's very hard to quantify and specify if a product works or not in your regular shop um, because you need to measure the depth of decarb. And that's not something your average HRC tester can do very well because the penetration depth of the HRC measurements is typically too um, too, too high. So it's like a big fucking rock going in there. Um, <clears throat> and the measurements that we did were, were much, much finer. They had like, yeah, maybe literally 1% of the load that a general hrc measurement has to wow. you know okay. only penetrate in very um specified regions so that's my opinion is that it's hard to test um reasonably i'm not saying it, uh, that it doesn't work i think anything that can create a layer of something that doesn't you know let anything else through like copper i'm sure copper can work um i'm not sure if copper paint does work but copper and iron do form this intermetallic phase and then you have that intermetallic phase on top of your blade you're gonna have to grind that off afterwards but i can't imagine that it does um help against decarb the question is then you don't have the decarb but you now you have your copper iron stuff stuck on the outside how much work is it <laughs> to get that off so but i can't say i tried it so i'm not going to say it, it it works or doesn't work fair enough yeah maybe what's the uh <laughs> what, what's the what's the benefit here are, are, are all the time that you would have spent wrapping it in stainless foil are you then spending trying to get all that crap off of there you know it's just kind of a a balance <clears throat> see yeah, i don't um, mind the foil i don't I, it gets a bad rap but once you get used to it, it doesn't take that long to twist up a little foil pack. It's know, not that bad, it's but I don't like, yeah, I don't like the... It's expensive. Quenching. Yeah, it's expensive, but I like to quench in oil. I'm just yeah. used to it. You know, pre-grinding, that's what we discussed earlier. Um, basically, you use, uh, you lose the possibility to pre-grind any of your bevels. So, I guess that's... That's true. That's true. I think a lot of guys are just afraid of it because it's sharp. So yeah, you see guys well, putting like chainmail gloves on to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that bad. I did cut myself occasionally on it, but it's not that bad. I haven't used it in a while now. Well, yeah, because you have scale X and we don't. <laughs> Unfair. <laughs> <Ta -da. laughs> All right. You guys uh, want to uh, you want to play a little round of fake news? Let's sure. go. Sure. I got All a right. message the other day that you need to do this or that more from somebody. I can't okay. remember. Who it I know. Was. I've I've gotten those messages too, and I apologize, guys. Sometimes we just get into conversations, and if we did like all the segments, the shows would be like two hours long, and I can't handle that. <laughs> so um, I'll try and bring it back uh, as as soon as possible. So I'll I'll do some more of that. Thank you. Thank you for your feedback. I'll I'll try and make it happen. All right. Oh. You, you, you want me to play you in? Let's do it. 
ladies and gentlemen, get ready to play Where in the World is Florida Man? Well, that was totally the wrong stinger, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to play fake news, but uh, <laughs> it sounded great, didn't it? <laughs> All right, so I have three stories in front of me. Uh, two of them are completely real. One of them is fake news, facade, satire. It's your job to figure out which one. Uh, normally, we try and keep these, you know, pretty pretty general, pretty clean-ish. Um, today, maybe if your kids are around, turn this one off, you know? Let's just... It's it's all in good fun. They're still great, but maybe oh, just no. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe don't have your kids around when 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 you're listening to this part. All right. Uh, first off, we have Florida man decided he was quitting his job in the middle of a road trip where he was transporting prisoners charged with all types of shit. Next up, we have Hawaiians. Hawaiian scuba diver hospitalized after his penis get, got stuck in a giant clam. <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you guys saw the picture of the clam that went with this story, you would understand. Uh, woman shot in the butt after sliding into an MRI machine with a loaded firearm concealed on her person. The last we one's have- got to be fake. How would you even get in there? Yes. Uh, we have some of our best stories come from the MRI machines. So well done, guys. Uh, yeah, there was the guy who sued the company because he had a butt plug that was supposed to be all silicone and there was a metal egg oh, in the center. Right. Yeah, oh, like, it, rail, it rail gunned itself up into, into his abdomen. Yeah. Yeah. Dummy. In this, yeah, I think this one said the uh, the MRI magnets actually pulled the trigger on the gun. Like it didn't just like release the hammer; like it pulled the trigger because the 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 magnets were so strong. That seems suspect. <laughs> that, that has here. to be yeah. That has to be fake. <laughs> Maybe really. You guys are going with that one. Yeah. No. What was I the mean, first out of, one? Out of out of all of these, that's the one. Okay. Uh, I Florida mean, I, I I feel I feel the the prison driving guy. I think like. If you're really pissed oh, off, yeah. you should you should be able to leave. Um, whenever I can picture that the, <laughs> the prisoners are all hazing him. They're like, "Look at this guy driving yeah, the van." I'm not you, won't you won't quit. You won't quit. Yeah, I, I bet you, you won't quit. I dare Pull you to quit right now. We got all the time in the world. <laughs> yeah, I can see right. that one. One more time, Florida man decides he was quitting his job in the middle of a road trip where he was transporting prisoners charged with all types of shit. I, I, I'm reading the headline directly, as and, and is. I, I, I told I told the person who sent this in that I would read the headline exactly as it was written. So uh, here you go, Brad. This is this is this is for you, man. Florida man decided he was quitting his job in the middle of a road trip, transporting prisoners, charged with all types of shit. And then the subcaption was literally it was so many charges. Uh, Hawaiian scuba diver hospitalized after sticking his penis in a giant clam. And then the woman who got shot in the butt after uh, getting into an MRI machine with a loaded firearm. Yeah, it's the la- it's gotta be the last one. All right, Ryan, going with the last one. Tobias, what do you think? It's gotta it's gotta be the last one. Come on, guys, that absolutely was real. Uh, it wasn't what? even in Florida. That was in Wisconsin. Yeah, nobody. 
nobody knows how she did it either because she went through like metal detection scans to like get into the freaking hospital and everything. Nobody has a clue how she got this weapon into the hospital and concealed and on her more person. Importantly, why? Exactly, because like <laughs> if you know anything about going to an MRI, they warn you. Like I've had many MRIs. They warn you is there if there's any yeah. metal in your person and I'm like, "Well, there's some in my head. Like is that going to be a problem?" They're like, "Oh no, that's fine." But like if you had like any metal like you know, on your person, it could seriously harm you. And they tell you this multiple times before you get into the MRI. Mike this Jones was like, nope. Mike Jones knife and tool had an MRI done on his head for his eyeballs or something. They x-rayed his eyes first to make sure he didn't have metal shards in it because of what he does for a living. Mm, yes. Oh, really? Yeah. Because he's a knife maker. So they were like, we're going to be extra careful that there's no <clears throat> little particles mm-hmm. of steel floating around in your eyeballs. Yeah, so you don't suddenly have, like, blood shooting out of your eyeballs in the middle of the machine and, like, feel like your eyeballs are being ripped out of your face. I can see how that would be bad. Uh, Mm -hmm. The fake story was the uh, Hawaiian scuba diver hospitalized after his penis got stuck in a giant clam. I mean, so... um, I'm almost surprised that that's fake. uh, (laughs) I am, too. I've got some bros. (laughs) It seemed really real, and and the thing that made made it seem like the the most real was the picture of the clam that they had with the article. Uh, You can imagine what it looked like, and I could totally see somebody doing that. So, I mean, I get it. Um, All of these. Okay, so the quitting his job in the middle of the thing um that was sent in by brad Troxclair, david burke ugly duck knives and a couple others i'm sorry like so many people sent this one to me uh the hawaiian scuba diver uh brigham brad Troxclair, a couple others i'm sorry guys and then uh the one that fooled both of you guys was sent in by david burke from olc knives so good job man you got him <laughs> ladies and gentlemen we got him uh... <laughs> Good stuff. Unbelievable. I even actually, I, I could have done more. I've got some great stories that people have been sending in to me. The problem is, <clears throat> is that, you know, some of them are, you know, like things like getting your penis stuck in a clam where it's not something I generally read off, you know, on the main show. But, you yeah. know, I figured we could go crazy today. That's fine. <laughs> All things in moderation, you know? All things in moderation. That's right. All right. Back to serious stuff. I have a question about soak times so i heard a little while ago Mareko, i think he was on his show he was talking about um heat treating soak times and when you know you're reading the the sheets that talk about you know, basically just following the instructions because the rest of us don't understand you know the, the things that you're talking about about you know carbides and solution and stuff like that we just follow instructions yep. and it works out for us Um, but he was saying that a lot of specifically the soak times that are put forth are listed off of heat treating like a one inch by one inch cube of that steel and how that thickness and, you know, can affect the, the, the soak times. Cause most of us, you know, we're, we're heat treating very thin blades. So the soak times don't necessarily correlate to what we're doing versus what is done in testing. Um, is that accurate? Um, <clears throat> yes, mostly. Um, so the the typical test that is done for hardenability of steels at different temperatures, um, where also many of the sheets come from, is called uh, Jomini test. And basically, they take an I think it's a inch round cylinder, if I'm not mistaken, something around that. So it's okay. like a pretty thick bar. 
and they they heat that and they soak that and then they put that in a fixture and basically there's a hose coming down from the bottom and it's um, basically water quenching only the front face of the cylinder so the basically the round part doesn't get any of the water in theory but it's only quenching from the bottom and then <clears throat> You ground off, you grind off um, part of the the cylinder lengthwise, and you do hardness tests along the length of the cylinder, and calculated by the um, heat transfer in steel, you basically know, okay, this position correlates to a medium oil, or this position correlates to a water quench, and um, that's where your timelines come from so that's a standardized test that is very very widely used and in that Moreco is absolutely uh, right that most of the steels are tested this way and um, most industrial applications are meant for much thicker stock than what we use um, obviously with the steel like Apex Ultra we didn't do that because it doesn't make sense at all for us. We don't even have 25 millimeter round material. So uh, we used specimens that were as close to a knife as possible. So, you know, in the right thickness. Um, but with most of the steels, if you use like D2 or O1, stuff like that, that's mostly meant for industrial purposes. And that's why you're average holding time in the data sheet is often much higher than what all your fellow knife makers use because it's much thicker material and a different application because also higher soak time mean that you're more uniform through the entire cylinder and that you are um, dissolving more carbon and more carbon in solution means better hardenability so it's gonna go hard for a higher depth basically hardenability doesn't mean how hard it gets but it is about how thick the material can be whilst still hardening interesting okay so i have a, a clarification and then and then, a, then a question so i just wanted to throw this out there i wasn't sure. doubting what mareko was saying i i, I, I misphrased the question slightly because I, i've yep. never heard mareko say anything that wasn't accurate <laughs> uh, I, I just i just wanted a little bit of an explanation on the process yep, yep. and so you provided that wonderfully so thank you um so as far as the soak times are considered um it's not necessarily a bad thing to be still using those industry standard soak times even with a thinner cross section like you have in a knife because you're, you're not harming the steel by soaking it too long because you're increasing the the solubility of the carbon in that solution is that do i understand that correctly you know that's a matter of philosophy i guess um so oh, it's, it's it's not not a philosophy uh, <laughs> uh i think there is there is the like Laren Thomas says, use long uh, soak times because you're going to get more even, more uniform um, results every time. And therefore, maybe reduce the um, the soaking temperature, the austenization temperature by just a little bit. Because those two variables, they correlate with each other. To a certain degree, you can um, vary the one and compensate for the other, basically. If you have higher temperature and you take less time, maybe the result is the same. <clears throat> Gotcha, but okay. it's you know, it's safer if you have, yeah. It's easier to get consistent results with different 
thicknesses of blades and you know the, the whole blade looks different every time um if you use longer soak times and uh, lower temperatures basically so that that's fine that doesn't do anything um what's where the don't soak it for too long um philosophy comes from is basically having a fine grain so in you always try to achieve uh, as fine of a grain as possible because the grain size is the only thing that improves your toughness and improves your hardness at the same time so anything else you know is always a trade-off between the two <clears throat> but a fine grain can do both so that's great we want more hardness and we want more toughness awesome um and in that your holding time and your temperature again are basically like the higher you go in the temperature and the higher you go in the time um the more likely that the grain is going to grow to a certain degree but that also depends a lot on the on the alloy that you're using because if you have a steel with more than 0.8 so a hyper eutectoid steel um that has carbon basically left over after the the um, the austenite is saturated that those pieces of carbon that are not in solution but that are actually carbides at um, austenization temperature <clears throat> they are going to prevent grain growth to a certain degree really okay yeah so for example in apex ultra if you heat treat at 850 degrees um, there are still carbides around so these carbides do um, have a certain effect and that's called grain pinning so basically the grains can't grow if there's carbides in the way and yeah. so your grain growth is restricted and that's also why like it's not super crucial if you have eight minutes or 12 minutes holding time or maybe you forget the blade and it's 15 minutes on this steel because you have carbides that act as grain pinners basically on the other hand if you have a low alloy steel that you know has only 0.8% carbon and nothing else in there like no no carbide forming elements whatsoever and you go to the same temperature and you hold for the same time all of the carbon is in solution it's all in the austenite and the grains don't have any any rocks that stop them from growing so they just grow and grow and grow and they grow very quickly if they don't have anything to stop them and that's where the whole philosophy comes from you know don't don't go too high in the temperature and don't uh, hold it for too long <clears throat> but that's there's no you no universal answer to this question because it always depends on on the steel so if you use water quenching low alloy type steels you might your concerns about grain growth are very real um but then the more carbide forming elements you have um the less likely that happens <clears throat> so so that explains what you were saying earlier about how forgiving apex ultra is in particular about getting it too hot because of those <clears throat> extra uh carbon molecules there it prevents that grain growth from happening at those higher temperatures because like you were saying right. the temperature and the soak time are essentially working in a similar fashon so right. that's why that not... is so forgiving it's because of that <clears throat> pinning those giving during the heat treatment that's very important don't overheat it yeah. during forging that's bad <laughs> right but during heat treatment it's uh, forgiving and it's also correlating with the chromium content at the vanadium and tungsten because they all form carbides so you know i see that so also works together 
Okay. It's not just the carbon, it also... So plain carbon steel with 1.25 is still um, more prone to grain growth than something that has these grain pinning elements like um, <clears throat> like vanadium and tungsten in them as well. <clears throat> that is super interesting. Wow. Yeah. Uh... I'm, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this segment of the episode again <laughs> myself. I don't usually listen to my own podcast, but uh, I'm going to have to listen to this one again because that was such an interesting, uh, I've never I understood uh, the correlation between grain growth and I've never heard of grain pinning before. So that was, wow. Okay. I'm going to have to absorb that for a minute. Ryan, you got anything <laughs> to say? No, I'm like baffled. Okay, let's throw in an ad then while we collect our jobs more. While the world has been shattered. <clears throat> Hustle and Grind podcast is sponsored by Phoenix Abrasives, your one-stop abrasive shop. When you go to phoenixabrasives.com, click the shop icon in the upper right-hand corner to find all the abrasives you'll ever need. Check out the Incinerator 36-grit ceramic belts, along with the Trizact gator belts that the hosts of Hustle & Grind use every day. When you check out, use code HUSTLE10 for 10% off your entire order. Thanks, Luke. Yeah. So That brings me on the topic. <clears throat> Actually, sorry. I yeah, didn't want ahead. to interrupt you. Um. Do you guys use the platen for for grinding most of your stuff, or do you use other methods like as a backing? Do you use the, the platen on the back of the belt, or do you use I don't know contact wheel, uh, slack, rotary platen, anything else? Um, I I'll go I'll go first, Ryan. Um, I typically use I I do a lot of flat grinding. I don't do the fancy <laughs> stuff that Ryan does. Um, so I do a lot of flat grinding just right on the platen. Um, for my finishing passes, I do have a little leather piece that I have just glued to a, a piece of thin stock that just kind of clips over the top of my platen. Um, so I have that soft backing for some of my finishing grinding. Um, for stock removal, I've started using the wheel uh, because it produces a lot less heat. So like a large, I think it's a 10 or a 12 inch wheel and just center my um, my work rest so that I can get uh, less heat transfer when I'm doing the stock removal. Um, so like use... contouring or primary yeah. bevels contouring. Uh, I, I don't, I don't use a wheel for any of that. Um, I, I only do flat grinds. I don't do any sort of hollow grinding or anything like that um, for handle material for like doing handle sculpting and stuff. I use a two inch wheel and um, a flat platen and then a little bit of slack Um depending on what I'm using. Uh, if I'm working on like the finger choil and stuff like that, I use the slack with a scalloped belt um, or a small wheel, something like that. But uh, for the most part, I use I use the shit out of my flat platen. Mm. <clears throat> if I'm doing a flat grind, it's on the flat platen, with a, a glass platen. I don't use steel. Yeah. And <clears throat> I just haven't. So I, it's like all my, <laughs> all my platens have glass glued to them. So it's like, <laughs> Why not I don't know, maybe, it? yeah, maybe I'll like it more if I switch. But uh, if I'm putting in a hollow or like a fuller or anything, I'll use different size serrated wheels depending on what, like how deep or how wide you want it. Yep. Yep. I was yeah, just curious because I've, I've been playing a lot with, um, you know, 
uh, nobody likes hand sanding, I guess. So how can you get the best finishes in the quickest way um, by using different parts of your grinder? <clears throat> and recently I've, I've ground a lot flat on the platen, but um, basically lengthwise. So I do my rough grinds crosswise, traditionally, basically, edge facing up. And then when I go to 120 grit, while I still use the ceramic belt um, to get the best finish I can get out of the ceramic belt before I switch to grits that don't work so well on Apex. Um, I use the length side. Um, so basically my edge is facing in the same direction as the platen and the belt. And that way you have more contact surface and um, basically all the grits don't cut as deep and that leaves a nicer more a smoother finish basically with the same grit because you have con more contact surface i think everybody knows when you grind on the small on a small hard wheel your grit or your roughness of the surface looks entirely different than when you grind oh, on yeah. the platen right mm -hmm. so that's just how much contact surface do you have and it's the same belt but the con uh, but the roughness on the surface is entirely different and that same thing applies when you have more and more surface so when you do a lengthwise finish, and I'm aware that doesn't work on all blades in the world, but for those where it does work, you know, all the higher kitchen knives, it really saves a lot of time to, you know, do the oh. grinding with other grids. Because I personally use aluminum oxide after 120 because I don't get any good other belts and they dull a lot quicker than the ceramic belts on Apex Ultra. So this is actually something that I've done for a very long time. When we first started doing the after shows, I explained my process just for the people in the after show, but I've been meaning to make a reel about my process and the way that you're talking about is pretty much exactly what I do. So after uh, either, either 120 or 220, what I'll do is I'll actually adjust my platen so that it sticks out past the wheels. Yep. And then either just using straight on the, the steel platen or clipping that little leather piece over there um once my bevel is set flat then i will switch to doing lengthwise and that just eliminates all of those cross section grits that i have to eliminate during hand sanding and yep. i'll go up to i don't know 320 or so doing it lengthwise and just kind of working it up and down and using like you're saying that that larger surface area and el eliminates all those those cross uh, scratches that everybody struggles to get out and, you know, maybe yeah, color, color, color them in with a little bit of Sharpie, you know, make sure you, you can get each and every one of them out. And then um, you can't get a very, at least I can't get a perfectly consistent finish. Um, especially when you're talking about a blade that maybe is, you know, uh, two and a quarter at the heel or something like that. So uh, I'll go back over it with, you know, I'll probably start with like 220 on the Rhino Wet and then just align all of that scratch pattern in hand sanding um, and then go up in my grits from there. But that's how I do every single knife. Um, even knives that I have where I have a um, like a plunge line, uh, okay. I'll, con I'll contour those um, either by hand or with a stone or uh, in the past I've had where I've been cre able to create with that leather platen that clips over the top just the perfect radius of how my plunge line is and I'll grind that with the belt going down, just stick it in there with a nice flexible belt and it perfectly polishes that inside of that uh, plunge line to awesome. where I don't have any issues hand sanding out scratch marks. And that's that's worth so much having a good grit where you where you can go 
Um, and either for the lower end finishes, just leave it as is and use a surface conditioning belt and it's good. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. just go to hand sanding. It just makes life a lot easier. And I find using a rougher grit belt, like the ceramic belt, for getting a higher end finish and really has a lot of advantages. So it saves so much time. Yeah. Right. right. We, we, we've discussed this with other people in the past who who will go for, you know, they'll grind up to a 400 and then they step back to 200 or to like 220 to the hand sand. And they say that, you know, they have no issues getting their, their scratch marks out um, in a very short period of time. And that's impressive, but I don't know. Um, I don't know how you could possibly get it done faster than just sticking it on the plat. It's so much less work too. I mean, you're talking about <laughs> you know, working your hands back and forth on the, yeah. the hand sanding and you're, if you don't have it set to the right height, then your back hurts and your neck hurts from craning over constantly, you know? Um, yep. But yeah, I've, I've used that process for a very long time now. Um, and that little leather platen that I have works wonderful. And once I have a, a rotary platen, I'm sure it'll be even easier to have that nice, consistent flatness. I, ha I have a rotary platen and I haven't switched because the leather platen, as you describe it, I have basically exactly the same thing so oh, it's really? just leather and i have a little nose on top and i just put it in between so i don't even have to i don't even have to loosen the belt it's just stop yeah. the belt put it in there go again and uh it works so well the only thing you have to soak the leather a little bit or you should soak the leather in water a little bit before because mine are all stiff and you know so I have to soak them a little bit before I use them. But other than that, it's entirely hassle-free and it works really well. Yeah, yeah, it really cuts down on finishing time. And I, every time I see a video of somebody sitting, you know, you know, at their bench, you know, hand sanding, oh, I did like two hours of hand sanding today or, or something like that. I'm like, you poor bastard. Why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it is, it is... I use hand sanding in my classes as well because it is the easiest and safest way to finish a blade. So especially if you have something, you know, when shit goes sideways on the belt grinder and you be, get too thin or anything like that, or you lose your, I don't know, you lose control. <laughs> then hand sanding is always a good way to, you know, come to rescue because it's very safe, it's very slow, and basically anybody can do it. Um, whereas on the belt grinder, you just need a, a couple hundred knives of experience until it all starts working smoothly well and that is something that we should mention is that <coughs> excuse me the the leather does create friction and so your your belt will heat up and especially if you're doing like a very thin edge kitchen knife you still need to be dipping that knife pretty much you know every sort of pass and it's not really the same sort of pass as you would when you're grinding the other way but you still have to dip it quite frequently because that edge will heat up as your running it between the leather and the and the belt so or you just is. get a spray cooler right or you get a spray cooler <laughs> which I, I have and i just haven't I, i've been we we talked about sharpening um with uh with rodney on our last episode and i've been meaning to set my sprayer back up but it's it's so freaking cold here and i'm just like even dipping my water you know dipping my hand in the bucket constantly getting my blade wet is just yeah. awful so then having it spraying everywhere all over me, it's like, oh, I can't stand it. But I do need to get it set back up again. You know what? I have a, the, I have a heated vest now, and it's my favorite piece of clothing ever. Because I, 
I had backache for you know. <laughs> I basically I I think I have the same one, same light. It's fantastic. Yep. It's fantastic because I had backache the the last couple of weeks when it started getting cold, and I realized you know forging you sweat a little, and then you know it doesn't even need to be long, but if you're just a little bit too cold, half an hour, um, my back starts cramping up, and yeah just making making problems and so i got this heated vest and it's fantastic <laughs> yeah uh, no uh, especially we, on the grinder oh especially on the grinder or uh in the mornings when it's like really cold yeah. and you get into that car and you didn't let it run long enough so it's still chilly yeah we always uh ryan and i are big fans of milwaukee tools and we always we always talk about them on the show i'm wearing a milwaukee heated sweatshirt right now my wife has a Milwaukee heated sweatshirt. She has a Milwaukee <laughs> heated vest as well. Uh, she gets very cold very easily. She refers to herself as cold blooded. So I just buy her heated gear for any like present <laughs> or anything like that. And she loves it. So and it, runs off of, it runs off of the it's same awesome. M- M12 battery that a lot of my tools at work do. So the batteries all are interchangeable. I have like five different chargers that I can charge it up whenever I need to. It's fantastic. I use my M12 batteries for everything. I've got little adapters, so you just have two, a negative and a positive wire, so you get a 12-volt battery in your hand. For anything. Yeah, for anything. I run a winch that picks up my stairs off one. Oh, so is it uh, rechargeable? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, I I was skeptical about how long they would last, but actually on the lowest setting, I can work uh, a 12-hour day without shutting it down, so it's, it's really cool. Really cool. Yeah, Milwaukee Milwaukee batteries are impressive. I charge mine like I don't know once a month. <laughs> is, is that the brand that you have, uh, Tobias? Is, do no, have I don't mul- think. So. Um, no, it's something else. Okay, I was, I was curious. I was like, do they sell Milwaukee in Austria but as it, well? It, like- though, yeah, they do. Milwaukee's all over the place here too. But nice. um, the button on your shirt looked exactly the same, so I was like. <laughs> Probably very similar. Like, let's be honest. They're they're yeah. probably made in, in similar factories. not making factories. anything anymore. It's all China. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But honestly, I mean, I've had this thing for, I don't know, five years now. And this, it's been awesome. washed multiple times. I mean, yeah, you remove the battery before you wash it and all that stuff. But, I mean, it's been washed Please many do. times. And, uh, and it still works. I mean, I want to buy a new one, but I don't have a reason to. You know, this thing just keeps on they're, trucking. They ain't cheap either. They're pricey. Isn't it like yeah, 180 bucks, 200 it's a bucks? bucks? Yeah. This yeah. one was this one was cheaper when I bought it than than everything is now because everything's more expensive now. But uh, I think I probably spent 100 bucks on it. And in my mind, I was thinking to myself, I was like, well, a regular hoodie, if you bought like a nice Carhartt hoodie or something like that, you're spending 70 to 80 bucks anyways. Why wouldn't I spend 100, 125 and I've already got the batteries for it? You know, all, a lot of my tools run off of the same battery. So good to go. And that's awesome. Uh, I think Works I think really it was right. mine was 140 including the battery, so I can't complain. Oh yeah, that's great. no, it's pretty good. It's not bad. Yeah, so that's for water cooled. Cool, cool your grinder and heat your body. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, now we just need some sort of like hand warmer that could work. I mean, yeah, the gloves. Uh, I can't. Tr- I can wear no, like it's... a like nitrile like rubber nitrile gloves when I'm grinding. Sometimes, if I you know trying to keep the the splinters from getting to your hands where I can, you know, I can still feel the temperature of the blade through it, but they tear. And then it's just a pain in the butt yeah. anyways. So I'm usually, I'm usually grinding barehanded. Me too. Me too. 
Me too. Sometimes I can't glo- yeah. I can't do gloves. I I ruin them so quickly. You know, yeah. just touch the belt once as you do. Yep. While you grind, you touch <laughs> the belt I'm... all the time. <laughs> I do too. If I'm profiling, I'll throw gloves on. If it's like preheat treat, just grinding. You know, you're just profiling. Doesn't matter how hard you get it. You just keep going. Yeah. Gloves. Yeah. Yeah, me too, me too. But when I do the bevels, I don't. <clears throat> also, yeah. in the classes, I, I realized that I use my fingertips a lot to to find out if the if the belt is still good, you know, because I, I'm oh, not yeah. grinding there. So you just... And if I have gloves, I just take them off all the time because I need to, I don't know, do stuff. And yeah, it doesn't work. So I have fucked up hands, but it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so one one last thing I want to bring up, and then we need to we really need to switch over to an after show. We've been going for a while. Uh, your friend uh, Tobin Machines is that correct? The, right. the guy who is developing yep. this grinding jig. I think he's on his his fourth iteration of it. Is that correct? Um, something like that. I yeah. So let's, let's say fourth. <laughs> okay. Well, he made a post recently about the the I think it's the fourth iteration, and he was talking about maybe somehow working out a way to get them shipped internationally. Uh, do you know anything about that? Have you been involved I in that at all? I don't really, but I'm, I'm very optimistic about it because, um, I mean, his wife is in the U.S., so he flies over a lot, and uh, I think oh, he okay. tries to establish. Um, and he, I think he's he's going he's gonna to go and do that. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure he's, his mind is set to it, so it's just going to be a matter of time. Very cool. Yeah, I know. Uh, every time I see one of those things pop up, it's always just like, oh, man, I want one of those. You know, uh, my my grinding style has always been freehand. And there, I've never seen a jig or anything that has ever made me want to change that up, except that one. Like, that's I mean, the one where it's I like, still free- oh, that's- I still freehand a lot, but it's um, for taking the first grind, you know, for establishing the primary bevels, I use it on every knife. Um, except for the super small hunters, but every kitchen knife I established the pre um, the primary bevels with this thing, and it works fantastically even with forged blades, because that's where most of the other jigs don't work, because you yeah. don't have a reference surface that you can clamp, and this jig doesn't doesn't need it because it's yeah it's referencing off the spine of your knife, so as long as that's more or less straight, <laughs> you're good. <clears throat> yeah. It's perfect for hogging off material. Yep. Which is like oh, yeah. the part of the process that's the real time suck. I do it myself, but I know a lot of guys, they overthink that part and they're like, oh, I'm there's a facet there. I got to get that facet out. But, but really, <laughs> yeah. by the time you get to where you're going, you're going to be through it anyway. So that cuts out that whole part. You just, just fucking keep know, even pressure and the, pull it the through. Primary bevels are done, like if I have a forged blade, sometimes below a minute. Um, so it's, wow. if you have, yeah, because if you go from two mi- two millimeters down to 0.4 with your first, first grit, um, there's no time at all. I mean, I don't do, you know, full thickness, five millimeter primary bevels, but, um, it's, yeah, that's not the problem. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <clears throat> Getting down to thickness is not the problem anymore. Yeah. And that I was see guys- where, where, where we was coming from. I was making a big uh, Apex Ultra cleaver and I was standing there, you know, just pushing in with my thumb and trying to do an S grind and just trying to, to hog off a lot of material. And that's where I was like, okay, we're not using the thumb anymore. We need something else. We need a jig 
that can actually you know put on some pressure and get rid of all the friction that your thumb is always having because you your thumb only slides well in one way and it doesn't slide so well in the other direction right <laughs> so that was annoying <laughs> yeah. and a roller bearing can do that very well well and that's what i was going to say about you know i see people using push sticks and stuff and it's like well if if you're trying to slide a push stick it's not sliding very well or if you're trying to just like you know you push in on one section and then you move it to push it on the next section you're not getting consistency you know so even if you are using a push stick or something like that to try and you know alleviate that tension off of your thumb or you know trying to yeah. not make your hands ache so much while trying to put that much pressure on the blade you just can't beat that that combination of that roller bearing and the leverage that you get with that to just put that pressure on there it's phenomenal i grease so. my push stick and my thumb oh is it really Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know that, I did too. That, I also that I also greased grease. my thumb. <laughs> yeah, that grease stick that some of the suppliers sell for like you oh. hit your grit with it. I always okay. thought it was gimmicky. I never really noticed much of a difference when you use it on your abrasives. But if you rub it on your thumbs or your push stick, you don't get because you'll get like a sticking effect where you'll be pulling the blade and it'll just stop because it's stuck on yep. your finger and that kind of negates it. It makes a nasty grease mark on both sides of the blade that you have to wash off, but <laughs> that's the lesson. Well, I try that. <clears throat> yeah. Well, in, in, until, until he starts selling them in the States, maybe I'll, I'll try that. I'll, I'll give, it, <laughs> give it a shot. But all right, guys, we've been going a minute, 25 right, hour, 25. Um, Ryan, Toby, uh, she's <laughs> Tobias. Do you have anything else you want to want to say on the uh, main show before we head on over? No, I think all good. All good. All right, guys. Appreciate you guys listening for this long. Go check out Apex Ultra at Baker Forge and uh, Maker Material Supply. Um, But the only place you can get a discount on it is Baker Forge and Tool and use that code HUSTLE10. Get yourself some Apex Ultra and whatever else kind of crazy steals the boys over there at Baker uh, have going on. So hope you guys have a great working week and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Tobias. It was fun, as always. As always. Thanks for having me.